0: hello and welcome to the glory glory my name podcast i'm your host as always kel quinn and joining me today is my regular co-host chris nugent and special guest tom from the united podcast australia's biggest united podcast welcome to the show tom it's an absolute pleasure to have you on
1: now oh, pleasure to be on thank you for having me um here yeah, early morning start as we we're just discussing then and um I wouldn't say the most exciting game, but I'm glad that the job is finally done and, and look forward to the next round.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it was very, very boring game, to be honest, but we expected it. It was going to be a bit of a testimonial, given that we were 4-0 up from the first leg. So we're doing a 0 tonight with the Real Sociedad. We'll analyze the game a wee bit, and then we'll choose our man of the match. So, Tom, I'll come to you first. What did you take away from the game tonight?
1: Look, not a lot, to be honest, and I don't think we're ever <laughs> going to take a lot of, away from it. I remember before the game, we're thinking, OK, it's a very good opportunity to play all the kids and play the youngsters. And when the team news does come out, you, obviously there is disappointment when you see some of the players you want to see that are on the bench. You think, oh, why is Bruno Fernandez playing? Surely he could have had the night off, etc. But I put myself in Solskjaer's shoes and say, well... Sociedad are a good team and say that penalty goes into in the first 10 minutes and suddenly Sociedad grab a second goal before half time. then there is real nerve. So I can understand while it is 4-0 and a huge lead, I can understand Solskjaer's sort of respect for Sociedad in terms of playing an experienced team. But in regards to the way the game panned out, job done, nil all. I think it's one of those ones, if we go on to win the competition later on in May, you're not going to look back in February and talk about a second leg against Sociedad when you're 4-0 up. So I'm not really going to take much from this game, positive or negative.
0: No, definitely not. But we have to ask, why did Solskjaer play our two most important players, Rashford and Bernoude, tonight? Surely them two could have sat this one out.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Especially even the Rashford sub as well. I thought the game the game was over in the first minute for me, especially in the 45th minute the game's over. So. Yeah, those two players, I was shocked to see Bruno Fernandes start. Um, Harry Maguire is usually the one that doesn't get the rest, but and Solskjaer finally gave him a rest, which was good to see, but then doesn't do it for Bruno. And like, well, I'm a huge fan of Solskjaer. I hardly criticise the I think definitely you due for criticism here. Um, it was a weird one, but thank God both of them came through
0: unscathed. One of the major talking points from the game has to be and Z B being denied uh, his first United goal thanks to... Uh, Ludicrous Aerial Challenge by Victor Lindelof. What do you make of that, guys?
2: Yeah, it was a bit of a, it was a, bit of a strange one. Um, and it's as silly as it is to say, my first reaction was, was, kind, of, was kind of a laugh almost. It, it just seemed so ridiculous. Um, and I'm sure Tunes would, would have been pretty disappointed because his header for the goal was actually a pretty good header. And I believe it was his first goal for the club as well, um, or certainly in the seniors' Um, so yeah, I think he'd be really disappointed when, when I seen that when I saw the replay of it, I can kind of see what Lindelof was doing. He does start with his eyes on the ball, and, and as the ball is coming in, I think he's just trying to get as as big a leap on the defender as he can, but and I guess he kind of brings his legs up almost to try and give himself a bit more leverage. But as he comes near the guy, he almost stops looking at the ball and just starts looking at the player and and it nearly looks like he knows he's going to fail him and he and he just kind of continues to follow through. Um, so it was it was just a bit silly, but as I say on, on a serious note, um, it it was it was a bit disappointing, um, for two and But uh, as Tom rightly said, there I suppose, and in in, at the at the end of it all, it didn't really make much difference to the tie. So it's, um, it's probably not a not a big deal really. No,
0: I think Len Love will be off two and Christmas card list though for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we uh, we finished the game with more than half the team being academy graduates. Showatar. Attire- broke no oh, white day he yeah, broke his like thirty seven year record of being the youngest player to play for United in Europe. I suppose that's what this game will be remembered for.
1: Yeah it's good to see him come on because I remember when he came on the other day I was thinking oh geez like it's great to see him out there. It's sort of always great to see a debut and hope he has a great career at United. But I was thinking geez he does look like a boy like compared to in sort of playing a men's game and I was thinking okay great to see him. I'm not quite sure if we will see him again though. However, almost the ideal scenario popped up for Solskjaer in terms of a European game against the Spanish side, which isn't going to be the most physical game, instead of like throwing him in in into the English Premier League. And um, 4-0 up as well. So it was great to see him again. And it's a weird one. I think everyone's got to sort of calm their hopes a little bit. I think Diallo is the one you're going to have to look a little bit more towards than um, Schola. But um, yeah, it's good to see. It's a shame he hasn't come on when we sort of Needed the initiative to go forward and attack. The game's that sort have of been over both times he's come on. But um, as you say, well, when you see players break stats like that, um, you can only be proud because you look at other clubs and they can't sort of, they can't buy that sort of, they can't sort of buy that history, but United seem to sort of break those records every couple of years.
0: Yeah, I, I would have liked to have seen Diallo start the game tonight, but uh, Solskjaer didn't seem to want to risk it. I think it was a perfect opportunity being 4-0 up and no need to play Fernandez, like we spoke about. Uh, were you guys a bit disappointed with Diallo not starting the game?
2: I think I was a wee bit, Kyle, Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely thought that it would have been, as you said, a perfect opportunity for him to start. I suppose in defence of uh, who he did go for, which which was Dan James. Um Dan James himself is a player who probably needs a little bit of confidence and um he's a player that that, that I quite like. He's he's got a lot of tenacity, but you know, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, you know, he maybe needs a, a wee bit more experience at the top level in terms of his kind of decision making. And being that he has been on a fairly good run of form the last few games, I can kind of see why Solskjaer maybe wanted to continue the momentum with him and um, to kind of keep his confidence high, although as it panned out, you know he unfortunately got injured. Hopefully, it's not it's not a serious injury. Um, and yeah, I guess on reflection, it would have been better probably to have Diallo start um, and to see a wee bit more of him. Um, yeah, so I can see your point there. Just talking about, about Shora Theory, um, as you said, third Tom, It was great to see him have his debut. I agree with you that he looks very slight um, in stature, and he does look like somebody who um, you're hoping is going to kind of fill out and grow, uh, particularly for playing the likes of the Premier League. Um, but just looking at the company that he's in in terms of um, his age and on his debut, you know, we talked talking about the likes of Norman Whiteside and George Best and, and, and players like that um, and Mason Greenwood himself as well. Um, he's in good company there, so if he goes on to be kind of half as good as some of those names, it'll be, uh, it'll be great.
0: Yeah, we certainly got high hopes for him. He's shown a lot of ability in the, the games for the under-23s and obviously in the appearances that he made for Atalanta. So if he turns out to be a world-class player, he'll be a snip at 37 million in the, in the current climate. Hopefully, he will get more games in this competition as we progress. So we'll come on now to our, our man of the match tonight. It's a very difficult game to pick one, I know, but I'll, I'll come to you first, Tom. Who was your man of the match?
1: Yeah, it's not an easy one. Um, usually, it should be very sort of everyone pleased and excited. Over, I don't know it's not a 4-0 win, but we've gone through against Spanish opposition, We'll treat sort of have struggled to do in European competitions. So it should be a real sort of good feeling after this one, but it is slightly a little bit flat. Thinking, I don't know. I thought Nemanja Matic did well. I think in terms of the job Solskjaer probably would have given him before the game in terms of his instructions, in terms of keeping control of the game, making sure it's tight, no mistakes. I'm sure that was the message to Matic, and I assume he sort of followed it to a T. Um the defenders weren't troubled too much. The attackers didn't really create too much. I think it's got to be someone in that middle of the pitch, and probably when I noticed a little bit, but that was again probably his job.
0: Chris, what about you? Who was your man of the match?
2: Yeah, I think for me, I was I was going to say probably manage as well, or else um, yeah, or else perhaps Martial, strangely, just um, just in terms of putting putting the shift in. But like yeah, like you rightly said there, Tom. Uh, you know there wasn't much really being created up top, and we didn't really have many chances. Um, and were are massively troubled at the back so yeah uh, mala's put in a solid performance uh, kept the game ticking um, kept the ball moving and didn't really put a foot wrong um say so all being a kind of a fairly kind of flat game uh, in some ways too but um, yeah probably probably Maddie, um, would um would be good enough for me
0: okay fair enough can't disagree who are you, who are you hoping for in the next round then it's lots of tough teams still left in the competition but we'd probably be hoping for as easy a draw as possible uh, probably someone like Glasgow Rangers maybe would be a nice draw. What do you think, Lads?
1: It's hard. I actually haven't looked at all the results. I saw Arsenal scrape through, but last time I checked, Leicester were losing, were they? I think.
0: I think Leicester being knocked out by Slavia Prague. Yep.
1: Yeah. Is there country? I'm not sure. Is there country protection still in the next stage, or are we able to face English sides?
0: Yes, I think we can face anyone in the next round.
1: Yeah, so it, it's one of those ones. Obviously, the easiest side possible would be ideal, but then you also look at the Europa League for. I don't know. Look, yes, you do want to go through, but it's a competition that does lack a little bit of excitement. So you do almost want that bigger tie to sort of just add that little bit of sort of pressure and excitement, which should sort of spark a performance. And I'm sure there are plenty of teams, You or well, any of the English teams, so Tottenham or Arsenal are there. That would be a huge tie. You just mentioned their Rangers. That would be a huge game against Stephen Gerrard. No matter what you think of Rangers, that would be a big game. But um, yeah, if I if you gave me the choice, um, definitely the lowest-ranked side would do me fine.
0: What
2: about you, Chris? Yeah, com- completely the same, yeah. I, I, th- I see what you're saying there, Tom. You know, and, and I've spoken about this in the past. Yeah, there, there's sometimes I'm always torn in my head between having a massive tie against the, you know, a big rival or something because it makes for a big occasion. But I guess, you know, you, you kind of want to win the competition too. So you probably want as easy a draw as you can get kind of until the final in some ways as well. So, yeah, I mean, I would I would take the easiest draw all day long. Uh, I don't know who that who that would be. Um, but at the same time, it, it would be kind of nice to face off against an English team or, or a Scottish team. It's been a while since we had a Scottish team in a, in, a, in, a big, um, in a big competition. So, yeah, it would be nice to see a game against Rangers. Um, I noticed that AC Milan um, are potentially still in it too. I'm not sure exactly how their tie finished. Um, but I always like, um, you know, those games against the, like, so it was the big Italian team. So something like that would probably be kind of tasty as well. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, t- plenty of good draws. There are some
1: big teams in there when you do look at it. Um, look, it's not the Champions League, but there are some sort of Champions League names out there.
2: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, Milan and like you say, you know the the English clubs and uh, Roma, uh, Villarreal, Leverkusen, Napoli as well. There's some some absolutely massive teams um, mm. and Ajax too. So yeah, yeah, some uh, yeah, there's some mm. there's going to be some great um great games, I think, in the next round.
0: Yeah, can't wait for the draw. I think it's tomorrow midday UK time. So, we won't have long to wait to find. But in the meantime, we've got a massive game coming up on Sunday against Chelsea. What, what's your predictions for, for Sunday then, Tom?
1: Oh, look, Chelsea away. It's, um, yeah, it's not a fixture I look forward to, but it's weird since Solskjaer's has come in, it's almost been a bit of a good ground for us. Um, we've sort of got a great record there. However, I still remember the last 20 years, and it is a ground that um, I really sort of hate going to because just so many bad memories. But it's a weird one because they sort of have – I don't know if you call it a new manager bounce, but they have sort of got a little bit more stability since Tuchel has come in, and there's, they're obviously going in the right direction. And um, United, while well, I think are going in the right direction, definitely have plateaued over the past month or so. So it's an interesting one. It depends how you look at the title race now. Are we looking at trying to catch Man City and close that gap, or are we looking behind us in terms of trying to extend that gap in the top four race? Because – We can look, I don't know where Chelsea is sitting, maybe fifth or sixth, I think. If if we're looking at them, they're so far below us in terms of positions on the ladder. But we drop one or two games and they win one or two games. Suddenly that team in sixth or seventh, they're up near second place. So I think it's all great to puff out our chest and say, okay, let's try and close the gap on Man City. But we do have to be careful of what what's behind us, and that gap isn't as big as we think it is. I don't think,
0: Chris. Uh, what's your prediction for for Sunday? Do you think well, we have a good chance of winning the game, or would you be happy enough for the draw?
2: Yeah, I think it's going to be. I think it is going to be a tough game. Um, as as Tom's just said, there, yeah. In it, since uh, Solskjaer has taken over, uh, and when Lampard was there, you know, it, it has been a good ground for us, and I probably would have been more confident. But uh, Thomas Tuchel coming in has definitely steady the ship, uh, like Tom said. There, I don't know if it's a new manager bounce um, or, or what it is, but uh, they they seem intent on um, on improving, and they're definitely more stable. J- just looking at the table there, yeah, it seems that there's there's six points um, off the same number of games between us and Chelsea. So if it, 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 that that's just two two wins really um, and two losses for somebody else, so it's it's very very tight. Yeah, I think it's going to be a tight game. Um, being that it's a away at Stamford Bridge, uh, whole, albeit that in some ways we're actually better away this season, ironically, um, I, I would probably settle for a draw, um, and I would kind of be happy enough to take that and probably move on. I would love the win, uh, and I do think that if we're firing all cylinders, um, we could pro- possibly win the game. Um, but I, I would probably be happy enough for the draw, to be honest.
0: I think we'll have to be clinical because Chelsea have only conceded two goals since Tuchel has taken over, and as we know. Uh, Solskjaer will select to get McGuire, and Love at the back, so we're liable to concede. So we're going to have to be really clinical on the day. Would you agree?
1: Yeah. Well, I think when you go into big games like this, which we've seen in the past, look today I can't remember too many chances we had, let alone at a, in a tough game against Chelsea. So we might only get that one or two chances. And look, I like Anthony Martial. I like Marcus Rashford. But you think if we only get one or two chances between them, you think you're probably at the moment not betting your house on them putting it away. They probably need two or three chances. And, um, yeah, it'll be come down to who takes their chances at the moment. Um, look, Gerrard's obviously scored a great goal during the week, so it could be a game of few chances. And it might come down to who, who's more clinical because I think they're two very evenly matched sides and both in a very tense sort of part of the season where both teams won't want to be making mistakes and losing ground on the teams around them. So, yeah, I think it's exactly what you said. Um, being clinical is the key.
0: Yeah, I think we're probably going to be relying on a bit of brilliance from Bruno or Rashford to, to win us the game. I can't see anyone else really scoring for us unless Cavani is fit for this one. I'm, I'm not sure if he's going to make it or not. Is is Cavani going to make this game? Is, is he injured or, or not? I'm not too sure.
2: Yeah, I'm not actually too sure myself to, to tell you the truth, Kyle. Um, it, I normally go to you for, for news like that. You're, you're always more on the ball than I am in terms of who's injured and who's not. I don't actually know, but... Yeah, I think exactly what you guys have said is 100% um, the, 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 kind of the, key, the key kind of uh, probably factors in whether we're able to win the game or not. I think being clinical is absolutely what you, what you need um, against a tight defence like that. They're not conceding much and they're very likely themselves to score on the break with the likes of Werner um, and Havertz and that. So I think, um, I think we, we definitely need to be clinical. And again, as you guys both said, uh, Rashford, um, at times, you know, he, t- he doesn't always take his chances, nor, nor does Martial. Um, and even Greenwood in, re- in recent weeks hasn't been, for me, quite as clinical as, as you sort of expect from him. Um, he's probably not getting the same, maybe clear cut chances he would have got, although often he created those chances himself anyway. Um, so I wouldn't say we're exactly blowing teams away, again, despite uh, what happened against Sociedad last week. But yeah, I think Chelsea's going to be a more difficult proposition. And I think we, we absolutely need to be clinical. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head, Kyle. I, if I was to put money on somebody to score, I would uh, say it's probably like more likely to be Bruno. Um, and hopefully, hopefully he does. And hopefully that's enough to, to get us over the line.
0: Yeah, I think Cavani, McTominay, Pogba, and Vanderbeek, now that he could play anyway, are all going to still be missing for this game, most likely. So we will be relying on Bruno and Rashford to get us a goal, let's say. So it's it's going to be a very tough game. If we draw the game, we have the potential probably to drop down to the third or fourth. So that's why I would really like to win. But it's it, it's going to be difficult, and a draw wouldn't be a disaster. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think when you see that when we see a point, we think, ah, not good enough. You need the three points, but you got to put it yourselves in a position. It'll be we look at our inconsistencies. Well, probably in terms of, you look at the last calendar year, we've technically been the most consistent team over the past 12 months. I think Manchester City's current form maybe has just shaded it, um, taken us over in the last couple of weeks. But I look at the teams below us, you look at Chelsea, Leicester, Tottenham, you've got to include West Ham, Everton, Liverpool in that now. They're going to drop points as well. So while a draw could be frustrating in the heat of the moment, I think we've got to remember the teams below us are going to drop points in the remaining games as well. So I agree with Chris thinking, look, Look, yes, a win would be great. If you give me a draw now, I'm probably going to take it.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. One of the big major talking points among the fans at the moment is who should be our number one goalie. Now, Tom, I just want to get your opinion on this. Do you think Henderson should start in the Premier League or De Gea keep his place?
1: Look, look, it's an interesting debate. and On our podcast, we seem to have this debate every single week. And I think... There is no real right answer for me. Like, I think if whatever opinion you have, I think that there's a valid argument for both sides. For me, if I'm starting an FA Cup final tomorrow, in my opinion, David De Gea is our best goalkeeper. That doesn't mean Dean Henderson can't have a great future at United and will be United's future number one. I hope he is at some stage. But at the moment, we've got to play our best players. And for me, David De Gea is our best goalkeeper. Now, I understand there's sort of big question marks and he has limitations in, in his game. But those limitations have been there for 10 years. He's always had these limitations to his game in terms of the way he commands his area and things like that. That has always been there, even when he was the best goalkeeper in the world. But now I just think they're highlighted and exposed a little bit more because Dean Henderson is maybe what you'd call more sort of like a more all-rounded goalkeeper. So he's got a little bit more of everything. But I think in terms of goalkeeping, David Ayer is better. But if someone wants to throw Dean Henderson in there, I can't really argue because Yeah, David De Gea hasn't quite been himself this season or in the last couple of seasons, but it's it's a tricky one for me. I'd I'd like to stay loyal with David De Gea. Um, It's just a tricky situation the club find themselves in now and they're going to have to make a decision. But for me, um, and I'd love to see Dan Henderson be their future number one, but for me, if I have to choose, it's David De Gea.
0: I can see Solskjaer sticking with De Gea as the Premier League goalie for the rest of the season on Henderson playing in the Europa League and the FA Cup to the end of the season. But come May, June, he's going to have to pick one of them to be his number one. It's not yeah. sustainable to have two highly paid keepers on the books.
1: Yeah, look, definitely. And for me, it's David De Gea. But if Solskjaer does sort of choose to sell De Gea, and it will have to be a sell, you can't just, okay, De is on the bench now. As you say, they'll have to get rid of one. And I'll disagree if Solskjaer gets rid of David De Gea, because for me, he's the better goalkeeper. However... I would applaud Ollie for it because I think he does need to show bravery. He does need to be ruthless, and a decision does need to be made, whatever side of the fence that falls on. I'm not quite sure, but yes, he has to make a decision. One of them does have to go.
0: Uh, what is your opinion, Chris? Do you think uh, Henderson should be our number one or not?
2: Yeah, I think it's a very, it's a very difficult one. Um, for for me, yeah, in general, um, I in general, I think that that David de Gea is the kind of you know he's got the experience and and when he's on his game, if he if he's in the right frame of mind and at his best, I, th- I think he's arguably the best goalkeeper in the world, but he hasn't really been at it this, this last season and arguably um, for a while before that. And it, it concerns me um, th- that he's not. Um, and I kind of wonder wh- why he's not. Um, I think that Henderson is in very good form at the minute. if 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 you were to kind of force me to say who, who should start the next game, I'd probably think it would be Henderson if I'm honest, purely on confidence and form. Um, I think that if the two of them are, are at the best they can be, I think De Gea is better because I think on his day he's, like I guess, say, arguably the best keeper in the world. Um, but he's a wee bit out of form, and and sometimes I think form, um, you know, has to, kind of has to be taken into account too. That said, I'll just caveat with saying that as good as he is, um, and as good a form as he in as he's in, um, he did spill a shot, kind of, um. Towards the latter stages of the game tonight, and it came to absolutely nothing. And I think on commentary, Robbie Savage said that it was a comfortable save, but he actually spilled it slightly in front of him. And if you're playing against a top team in a tight tie, that 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 leads to a goal often. Um, and and then we're and then we're talking about saying, "Oh, Henderson's made a mistake tonight. He, you know, he's not as comfortable as he looked." And we're talking about him in a different light. So I think that you know David de Gea may be making high profile mistakes in in big games gets highlighted and sometimes it's easy to overlook when a keeper is not playing against those top teams in the, in the kind of lesser game, so to speak, you maybe don't notice the mistake so much. So I think, you know, maybe you just have to be balanced and not get too carried away in how we look at Henderson. um. But like I say, based on purely on current form and the fact that, that the head looks a wee bit uh, shaky, I would maybe take him out for a week or two. Um, but but I but I love to have the head, as you know kinda of, and I would love to see him come back to his best and be the keeper that we know he can be and I'd be only too happy to see that be the case going forward. Um but right now he's not on it and I could understand if as Tom said if, if maybe Sochar let him go at the end of the season. But um all round I think the He is the better keeper um but but he's not showing sure at the minute so um yeah it's a, it's a difficult one.
0: Okay, I'm gonna come on to the summer transfer window now. Um Tom, who do you think uh, should be a priority sign-ins in terms of positions on the pitch. For me, it should be centre-back and a uh, defensive midfielder. For me, it should be the two priorities. Uh, what's your opinion?
1: Yeah, I agree completely. I think for me, 100% it has to be a centre-back. However, in saying that, I don't know which one. I, I don't think there's a clear and obvious answer out there. I know if, like, if your team wants a striker, okay, you get getting Mbappe or Haaland. If your team wants a right-winger, okay, you're getting Jaden Sancho. We want a centre-back. I don't know who the right answer is. There's sort of there's three or four names always floating about, but everyone's sort of split among them. There's no one, okay, that is the player. I remember last year, a couple of years ago, I probably would have been Koulibaly, but now you're looking at a business point of view. Is that a great bit of business? Not quite sure. Maybe still a great defender, but you, there's sort of question marks over sort of how sensible that signing would be. So, yeah, it's 100% a defender for me, but I honestly couldn't tell you who. There are a few names there. And none of them spring to mind in terms of saying, okay, that'll be the answer. He will fix our problems, um, unfortunately. If you're to throw a name out there, and I don't think there's a realistic one, his name is trying a little bit Varan. Uh, I've always liked him. But however, are we going to pry him away from Real Madrid? Not quite sure. I can definitely see uh, sort of coming across Sky Sports News in a couple of months. Varane agrees new contract at Real Madrid sort of thing. So I'm not quite sure, but definitely a defender for me.
0: I think Jules Kunde from Sevilla has been heavily linked in the last week or so and apparently Solskjaer's personal scout has been watching him extensively so that does seem like a realistic option and he looks like a guy who's quite pacey and he, he despite being 5 foot 10 he's got a big leap on him so he, he's good in the air as well and he, he seems quite good on the ball too so that looks like a realistic option and he would probably compliment Maguire very well given that, given that he's pacey
1: it, look, it looks good from what I've seen him. To be honest, I haven't seen in terms of... Well, I'm sure I have some. We've seen to have played Sevilla a lot of times um, lately. So I'm sure I have seen him play, but I haven't actually sort of sat down and watched 90 minutes of him. So he definitely looks like he's got great attributes. And I've seen the argument about his height. But I think in terms of if you play the game the right way, that that really shouldn't be a problem. So, um, yeah, as you say, at the moment, that is the sort of the name that is sort of most heavily linked. And um, you mentioned the scout watching him in the last match. So... Look, I've got I've gotten to the stage now. It just we just need investment at centre back. Um, I'm not the scout. I'm not the manager. I don't know who the name is, but um, we definitely need a body there and a someone we you can um, sort of rely on.
0: So, what do you think, Chris? Do you think we need a centre back on a on a defensive midfielder? And if so, uh, what names come to mind?
2: Yeah. So uh, yeah, I agree with with what you both you guys said there. Yeah, I think uh, the guy from Sevilla seems like a good option, but. Um, as Tom said, you know, I I, I struggle and um you know to, to just pick a name, you know, in European football or world football, and say you know I think that's the guy that that, that we need. Um, I, th- I just don't think that name is is obvious, but like like you said, Tom, you know, uh, that that's a job for uh, for Manchester United scouts to try and pull that uh, pull that person. Um, you know, out and, and, and kind of try and go and get them. Um, I think the most important thing is what is what you said, Kyle, is that. Um, I think it's all about trying to get a good centre back pairing. And I think, you know, looking at Manchester United teams in the past, when we were at our best and when we were, you know, regularly competing for, you know, leagues and Champions Leagues and things like that, you know, we always had a strong spine in the team, um, you know, with a good goalkeeper and, and, and a strong centre back um, and centre midfield pairing. So I think that it's, it's as important uh, to find somebody who's going to complement uh, whichever one of our current centre backs you Know is the first choice, and at the minute that looks like Maguire, and um, so you're right in saying, Kyle, that, that's probably a pacey player, and um, that you're looking for that's going to complement Maguire, uh, who's a bit taller, um, but not maybe quite as, as, as good at kind of you know uh, keeping up with kind of quick strikers. Um, but but that comes down to whether it is going to be Maguire going forward, and I do think there's valid arguments that maybe Maguire isn't our best centre back that we currently have, so. You know, maybe, and it is probably a big maybe because I do think Sorsar stick with him. That maybe you know he might reassess altogether and say actually it's maybe a partner for Lindelof or or in an ideal world maybe a partner for Bay. Um, although he struggles with fitness, so I think um it's it's hard to rely on him. Um, so yeah, I think I think that who uh, the first choice will be will, will uh, if that's going to be McGuire or not will, will influence who who we maybe should be looking for, um, in centre back in terms of centre midfield uh, or sorry defensive midfield. Um, yeah, I, I mean, if I'm honest, at times I, I look at Fred and McComney, and, and I think that in some games they look, they look quite solid. Um, and and managed, as I said, a good game tonight. So I'm not absolutely convinced that we definitely need a defensive midfielder. Um, happy to hear your, your guys' thoughts on it. But um, yeah, not, that's not to say that a top class special centre or defensive midfielder wouldn't be a good thing. It obviously would. Um, but I, I, I feel like centre back is uh, definitely our priority. Um, and, there, and there is still an argument as well, I think, although we do have Cavani for another um, young, hungry uh, centre-forward, the likes of Haaland and Mbappe. Um, you know, I don't think uh, that, that uh, Martial, for me, is probably not our long-term number nine. And Rashford, as we alluded to, isn't always clinical. Um, so I feel that it wouldn't be a bad time to k- still keep uh, young, kind of hungry strikers on the radar as well.
0: Dak and Rice is a name that's been mentioned, and I think he would be a massive upgrade on Fred. And it's, it looks realistic considering that we've got Lingard now as leverage. I would say that as a deal, it could be done this summer. Uh, Tom, would you like to see Dakin Rice come to you, Old Trafford?
1: Well, I'm 50-50 on Rice. I, I watch him some games. I think, yes, he is the answer throw him in there. And other weeks, I think, oh, geez, he almost... I get the impression sometimes when he plays that midfield role, he sort of... He looks like a centre-back playing in midfield. I think, oh, he's not quite a natural in there. But... You can't argue with what, what he's producing and he's producing good performances and there will obviously be, a, I think, a desire from the club to, um, to bring him in. I think he'd be a sort of a good name for the club to bring in in terms of a young player to sort of taking that next step in his career. And as you mentioned, Fred, I'm not sort of sold on Fred. I think even when he performs well, I think, oh, geez, he gives me nightmares and do we need something more solid there? You, do, you just mentioned Emmanuel Matic there and I'm a big fan of him. But when you discuss Nemanja Madic, you do have to look at the age and there will come a time where you do need to move him on and sort of bring the next player through. And I was once saying maybe a year or two ago, I was saying that was Scott McTominay, but I don't think that in terms of that role really suits McTominay. I think McTominay is more suited to sort of just a natural centre midfielder rather than sit in. And uh, Declan Rice, yeah, very well could be the answer. And I'm not sure, Wingard going to West Ham, whether that was a bit of a David Moyes connection Or there is a little bit of sort of gamesmanship and, yeah, maybe, as you mentioned, a little bit of leverage in sort of greasing in the wheels in case they do go in
0: for Rice. Yeah, I think you're right. McTominay, to me, is more of a box midfielder who can potentially get you 10 goals a season. And I don't think he is a specialist CDM. What do you think about Dak and Rice, Chris? Have Have you seen much of him?
2: I haven't seen a huge amount of him, Kyle. But um, but what I have seen of him, I think I think I um I can see where Tom's coming from there. You I mean he you know he, took, he doesn't look the most kind of mobile you know kind of nimble of players. Um, so I can see what you're saying about sometimes he almost looks more like a centre back, um, playing in centre midfield. I do I do think that as as he is, he would be certainly would be an up on Fred. Um, when I was saying there, I think Fred and McTominay sometimes play well together, but that's not endorsing Fred on his own. Um, at times, yeah, he kind of just runs about and uh, doesn't always kind of um, deliver much. But yeah, I think Doug and is a good player. Um, I, I, for me, I just don't see him being absolutely uh, top, top level. I hope, you know, I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, I think he would be upgraded probably at least on Fred. Um, but I would still probably love us to see somebody a wee bit more high caliber. Um, but yeah, but again, some of centre backs. I'm not sure who exactly that, that person would be.
0: Wilfred Nindidi is another name that's been mentioned. But lesser charged us 80 million for Harry Maguire. What would they ask for another one of their players? <laughs> I dread to even think. And I don't think United is going to spend that type of money in a, in a COVID window on one player. I just can't see it happening. But I'm definitely a big fan of his. Uh, what do you think, guys?
1: Yeah, cracking player. I think it's uh, just one of those things again then James Madison he's not a 100 million pound player but he's going to cost 100 million pound and um and Didi, I think is in the same boat uh, not that he's going to go for 100 million but that price is going to be crazy
0: okay we'll leave it there thanks again for taking the time to do this tom
1: no pleasure mate pleasure absolute um anytime
0: okay see you
2: take care see guys